Welcome to the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Kehan. Today, we'll discuss a new study by Ziogos et al. titled Coronary Artery Endothelial Function and Aging in People with HIV and HIV-Negative Individuals. This article was published October 9th, 2023 in the AJP Heart and Cirque Call for Papers on the impact of aging on the cardiovascular system. Joining us today are guest editor, Dr. Ashley Walker, author, Dr. Timos Ziogos, and expert, Dr. Jennifer Williams. Let's get started. Ashley? Mara, thank you for that introduction. Timos and Jennifer, thank you for joining me on this podcast. I'm really interested to dig into this article and learn more about the study today. As a brief overview, the goal of this study was to investigate coronary endothelial function in people with HIV. It has been known that people with HIV have an increased risk for cardiovascular diseases, and this includes coronary artery disease risk. However, it has not been clear why do they have this increased risk. In this study, it was found that coronary endothelial function is impaired in people with HIV compared to HIV-negative individuals. The authors also performed correlations between age and endothelial function in this study. They found that among HIV-negative individuals, there was a negative association between age and coronary endothelial function, as you would expect. However, in contrast, when the group with HIV was examined, they found no relation between age and endothelial function. These results suggest that there could be early vascular aging in those with HIV. Overall, these results provide important insight into the factors that might contribute to the increased cardiovascular disease risk in people with HIV. Timos, first, welcome to this podcast. Second, could you give us a little more context about this study? In particular, what motivated you to pursue this research question? Ashley, uh, thank you very much for your kind invitation and for hosting this podcast today. It's a great honor to represent our group today and to discuss our recent publication. Um, The main motivating factor in uh, pursuing this topic was that the relationship between coronary endothelial function and AIDS in people with HIV had not been studied previously. And it was unclear whether this relationship differs in people with and without HIV. Advanced in MRI provide the opportunity to assess coronary endothelial function non-invasively and without contrast. And the long-term experience of our group in measuring the endothelial-dependent vasoreactive response of coronary arteries to isometric hand grip exercise, which is an endothelial-dependent stressor, created an ideal environment to examine these questions. This sounds like a really important research question that remained unanswered until now because the measurement techniques needed to be advanced. Jennifer, I would like to turn to you as an expert in the field. In a broad context, what do you think is the most important finding from this study? The first, thank you so much, Ashley, for having us. I think the most important finding from this study was that coronary endothelial function was lower in people with HIV compared to uh, those who are negative for HIV. And we know that there's this association between age and impairments in endothelial function. And I really think that this study added to that body of literature by finding that endothelial dysfunction was present earlier in life in those living with HIV compared to those who are negative. 
And really the, the impact of this work is that it helps us to understand why people living with HIV are at a higher risk of having and dying from coronary artery disease and provides us with new avenues for intervention research for preventing cardiovascular disease in this population. So in these studies, magnetic resonance imaging or MRI was used to assess coronary endothelial function. Uh, the measurements of blood flow were taken at rest and during isometric hand grip exercise. Timos, can you tell us a little more about this technique, including how it was performed and how you analyzed the images? Of course, I'm very happy to share more details about our methodology. A commercial whole body MR scanner from Philips with a field strength of uh, three Tesla was used. Cross-sectional anatomic and velocity encoded spiral MRI of the coronaries were performed using breath hold Cine sequences. We collect approximately 18 to 30 cardiac phases for uh, the coronary flow scan, depending on the heart rate of each participant. Uh, each participant underwent MRI in the morning after fasting for longer than eight hours and before the administration of any prescribed vasoactive medications. Perpendicular images of a proximal or a mid-coronary arterial segment that appears straight over a distance of approximately 20 millimeters were obtained. Anatomical images were collected at baseline and during continuous isometric hand grip exercise for four to seven minutes using an MRI-compatible dynamometer at 30% of maximum grip strength under direct supervision. The hand exercise was continuous and the dynamometer was observed by an investigator to make sure that uh, there is compliance from the participant. If one hand became fatigued, the other hand was used at once and continuous isometric contraction was resumed. When we could obtain images from two coronary artery segments per participant, the results for each coronary segment were quantified and we used the average for these people. Non-invasive and MRI-compatible ECG and cuff blood pressure monitors, both from in vivo, were used throughout the study to measure heart rate and blood pressure. Regarding the analysis of our images, we used Cine software for cross-sectional area analysis and Qflow from Medis for coronary blood flow analysis, which are both commercially available software. For the coronary cross-sectional area analysis, contours were made around each vessel during a quiescent period in diastole. Uh, coronary flow velocity was measured in centimeters per second, and coronary blood flow was calculated using the equation of coronary artery cross-sectional area times coronary artery peak diastolic velocity times 0 0.03. Uh, the MRI analysis was performed by two independent readers who were blinded to AIDS and HIV status. Great, thank you for that summary. I'm wondering, could you tell specifically which coronary artery are you measuring? Yes, absolutely. Our goal was usually to obtain images from the right coronary artery, but in cases where for anatomic reasons or from reasons that we couldn't really obtain proper images from the right coronary artery, we used some areas of the LAD. In some individuals, we were able to obtain images from both arteries. In these cases, we got the results from both of them and we got the average at the end for the analysis. Have you done previous studies to sort of compare the two arteries? Like, do you know that they respond similarly in this context? Yes, uh, this is something that our group has seen in the past, and uh, due to the long-term experience of uh, individuals such as Kai Gestiblith and uh, Bob Weiss in this field, uh, they have done numerous studies throughout the years and noticed the 
similar trend in the responses of both the right coronary artery and the LAD uh, in basically the rest and the stress part of the MRI. Thank you. Now, Jennifer, I'd like to turn to you as someone with expertise in the measurement of endothelial function. What do you see as the advantages and the potential disadvantages of using this technique to measure endothelial function? This is a great question. I think one of the strengths of using this technique is it's non-invasive nature. More traditional methods of assessing coronary artery endothelial function often require the use of catheters or injections of vasoactive compounds. So being able to use uh, this outcome non-invasively using a hand grip exercise protocol is quite novel and is a benefit to including participants uh, and looking at endothelial dysfunction in the future. I, I think another key advantage of the protocol is that MRI often has excellent resolution um, for looking at coronary arteries and high reproducibility of the technique. But when it comes to the disadvantages of MRI, I think we're, we're pretty familiar with the most common challenge, which is that it's, it's quite a complex measure. It requires a fair bit of training um, and having appropriately trained staff. And the costs that are associated with using the MRI can be uh, extensive depending on your institute. Um, and then depending on the research center, there's often some issues with availability of dedicated MRI machines for research purposes. So that can add some length to studies uh, in terms of getting participants in. There are also some limitations for who's eligible for MRI studies. So those who, for example, have uh, implants that aren't MRI compatible um, wouldn't be eligible, but that's becoming far less common now given the growing use of MRI uh, as a research method. Thank you, Jennifer. So I'd like to ask one more question on this topic of the technique. Timos, do you have any advice for other researchers who might want to implement this in their lab? Yes, uh, this is such an interesting question, Ashley. Uh, becoming an, an expert in cardiac MRI and especially optimizing the stress part of the scan, the part which involves the use of a dynamometer, is a process that takes many years and a lot of trial and error. Uh, thankfully for our group, uh, Gary Gensenbrief and Bob Weiss, who are two outstanding scientists and longtime experts in this field, have been using this technique for a long time now, starting with uh, the original publication in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled Regional Myocardial Metabolism of High Energy Phosphates During Isometric Exercise in Patients with Coronary Artery Disease in 1990, uh, where they first described this method. Alison Hayes and Torsten Leuker, uh, the co-senior authors in this work, continue this long tradition and have utilized this approach very successfully in several recent projects. Thank you for that explanation. It sounds like a very technical technique to use and that you need a lot of expertise to help you along the way. Now I'd like to turn back to the findings of this study. A major finding of the study was that people with HIV appear to have early cardiovascular aging. I'd like to dig into the potential mechanisms that underline this finding. In this article, we had a discussion of whether the impact is from the virus or is it from the medications used to treat the disease? I think this is a really interesting debate. So Timos, could you expand on this idea for us? Absolutely. And uh, thank you for this great question, Ashley. Uh, there are several mechanisms which may account for the increase in cardiovascular risk in people with HIV. Some of the most important mechanisms include the immunodeficiency caused by the HIV infection, uh, co-infection with CMV, microbial translocation from the gut, chronic inflammation, and um, immune cell activation. HIV-encoded proteins, and specifically transactivator of transcription and negative factor, induce inflammation and endothelial dysfunction. CD4-positive T-cell depletion, uh, 
represents the hallmark of an HIV infection and nadir CD4 positive T cell count is a marker of the immunodeficiency severity. Nadir CD4 T cell count has been linked to increased carotid intimal media thickening and increased arterial stiffness, both of which are features of atherosclerosis. Co-infection with CMV might also contribute to HIV-associated atherosclerosis. It is strongly linked to HIV viral persistence and plays a role in chronic immune activation inflammation. Additionally, impairment of the gut barrier, which is an early feature of HIV infection and leads to microbial translocation and subsequently immune activation by the microbial products, has been linked with atherosclerosis in people with HIV. Lastly, latent HIV infection influences atherogenesis by increasing inflammation. Uh, HIV-positive individuals have a higher number of inflammatory biomarkers, such as CRP, interleukin-6, and B-dimer, which strongly predict cardiovascular events and all-cause mortality in this patient population. One common consequence of all these factors is decreased nitric oxide bioavailability, which is a critical mediator of normal endothelial-dependent vascular function. Uh, regarding the potential impact of antiretroviral treatment, the most obvious mechanism in increased uh, atherosclerosis is their increase in cardiovascular risk by increasing blood lipid levels and particularly LDL cholesterol, especially for the older type of types of protease inhibitors, which were associated with a higher risk compared to most recent medications. In addition, insulin resistance and uh, lipodystrophy are important factors also and which contribute to atherogenesis. However, I think it's crucial to emphasize that current ART regimens are associated with much lower risk of CVD compared to the older version. Thank you for that thorough discussion of the mechanism. So if I'm hearing you right, you think that a few of the major effects of HIV infection would be uh, the co-infection with CMV, the translocation of microbia from the gut, and then inflammation and immune cell activation. Am I kind of capturing what you're thinking the virus is causing this endothelial function by? Yes, absolutely. I think you did a great job summarizing the main points that uh, I think contribute to this process. Thank you. And I, I think it's an important point that you made at the end that the current therapy regimens are associated with much lower disease risk than the former uh, regimens used to treat this disease. As someone who studies vascular aging, we tend to think about reduce nitric oxide and increase oxidative stress as sort of these major contributors to endothelial dysfunction with advancing age. Jennifer, I was hoping that you could chime in here more about potential mechanisms and how the mechanisms in someone with HIV might compare to normal vascular aging. I think Tima's covered the majority of the potential mechanisms that are involved uh, quite well. I'll just add that we know that the bioavailability of nitric oxide is reduced with aging and that it's further reduced in variety of diseases that involve inflammation like HIV. And some of the mechanisms that are involved could be decreasing nitric oxide bioavailability through oxidative stress. And that is in part related to lowered activity of endothelial nitric oxide synthase, a key enzyme in, uh, in that pathway. Another mechanism that we discussed earlier was inflammation. We know that inflammation is increased with aging and then that's further elevated in presence of diseases like HIV. And that directly impairs endothelial function, some of the mechanisms there, along with nitric oxide itself. But another mechanism that we haven't really discussed yet um, that's absent in the study is looking at lifestyle factors. So thinking about diet, sleep, exercise, and how that influences the ROS nitric oxide pathway. And one factor in particular that I think is interesting in this population is uh, psychosocial stress. We know that individuals with HIV experience stigma, 
and that that may further elevate inflammation, further elevate the oxidative stress that they experience. So I think when it comes to looking forward uh, at interventions, you know, mental health and group-based social uh, support programs might be helpful uh, ways to mitigate that stress. Those are great points, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing that. Timos, I'm also wondering about what were the major challenges in completing this study? Yes, so um, the most challenging part, I think, was to recruit a sufficient number of HIV-positive individuals, including subjects of both younger and older age. Thankfully, the emphasis of our group in studying corneal function in people with HIV throughout the years and the participation of these patients in multiple protocols was what made this study possible. Uh, furthermore, uh, matching the demographic characteristics and the past medical history to the extent that something like this is possible between the people with and without HIV was definitely something challenging. Uh, there were significant differences between HIV-positive and negative individuals in terms of race, sex, and traditional risk factors, such as smoking, uh, which were reflective of the local community-based populations. However, uh, after adjusting for these variables in our models, uh, we didn't see any, any changes in our findings. Thank you for that summary. It does seem like there's a lot of challenges in working with this population. And so kudos to you for getting this study completed um, and that you were able to also statistically show that those factors that were different between groups didn't impact these results. So given all that we've discussed here today, I am really interested to know the future directions of this work. Speaking broadly, what is the major gap in knowledge that needs to be addressed in order to improve cardiovascular health for people with HIV? I'm going to ask both of you this question. Timos, maybe you could give us your thoughts first. Thank you for this very important question, Ashley. Um, thankfully, ART has transformed HIV infection into a chronic disease, and a lot of progress has been made in determining the role of factors such as antiretroviral treatment, chronic inflammation, and immune activation, along with uh, other traditional cardiovascular risk factors to the pathogenesis of atherosclerosis in people with HIV. Our findings suggest that impaired coronary endothelial function may be one of the responsible mechanisms for the increasing cardiovascular risk in HIV-positive individuals. And the non-invasive detection of coronary endothelial function may inform both the identification and the evaluation of new therapeutic inter interventions in this high-risk population. However, a lot of work is still needed to further decipher the mechanisms of HIV-associated atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and design the therapeutic strategies to decrease the risk of and to treat cardiovascular disease in people with HIV. Jennifer, do you have anything to add? I absolutely agree with the, the directions that are mentioned. I think some therapeutic strategies worth exploring in this population would be in lifestyle modifications like exercise and dietary interventions to help reduce inflammatory load and enhance antioxidant capacity and ultimately hopefully reduce uh, the development of cardiovascular disease in people with HIV. From a physiological perspective, I think exploring how HIV influences other central and peripheral cardiovascular outcomes would be of interest, like conduit artery endothelial function, arterial stiffness, as it's been mentioned, and even some cerebrovascular outcomes looking at the heart-brain connection would naturally extend uh, this work beyond the heart. Great. And so I'd like to conclude by Timos asking, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to leave us with? Uh, yes, I would like to thank everyone who contributed to this study for uh, their invaluable contributions. It would be impossible to be here without the efforts of my co-authors and participate in the podcast today. It was an honor for our group to see this work published 
in the American Journal of Physiology, Heart and Circulatory Physiology. And uh, thank you again, Ashley, for providing this platform to discuss this fascinating topic. I agree. These podcasts are a great platform to highlight the work in this journal. As a summary, today we discussed the impairment of coronary endothelial function in people living with HIV. While this study provided insight into the potential causes for increased cardiovascular disease risk in people with HIV, there is still a lot of work left to be done to understand this disease. Thank you to Timos and Jennifer for joining me here today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Circ podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.